HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah Forden. I'm the program manager here at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we're celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary, and I want to thank all of our listeners and members for being a part of an incredible year of food radio. We never would have made it this far without all of you. So HRN is now in its summer fun drive, and this is when we turn to you and ask that you make a donation to help ensure a bright future for food radio. Whether you listen to one show or 20, there's a reason why you keep tuning in week after week. All of our content is powered by a small nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity to keep going. Help us keep broadcasting the most thought-provoking, entertaining, and educational conversations happening in the world of food and beverage. So become a member today. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we have some brand new member gifts available online, so I encourage you to snag your new favorite pizza-themed t-shirt or enamel pin today and show the world how much you love HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate so you can snag your 10th anniversary member swag. And thank you. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 150 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I bet every single one of them is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, I'm going to say what I always say. I have amazing guests. I always do. It's true. They are the founders of Tillet NYC, which is a culinary restaurant haberdashery, working clothes for working people in the restaurant world. And they've taken all this connection and experience from their clientele and put it into a brand new show on Heritage Radio Network called Opening Soon. They're actually earlier in the day on Tuesdays. They broadcast live at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And their show is about opening a restaurant and the journey that you take and the things that you should do. And they have a lot of great guests ranging from chefs to restaurateurs to vendors, everything from branding to build out to business plan. And there's so much about opening a restaurant and running a successful restaurant today 
that is technology that didn't exist five years ago, 10 years ago, and perhaps not when Alex and Jenny were at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Years ago. Definitely not. I <laughs> think Commander's not. Palace is probably still cocktail <laughs> napkin pencil level technology. It's, yeah, probably. probably. I mean, right? we haven't been there in about 15 years I as say. employees. I mean, I feel like they probably... I feel like of all of the stalwarts, they probably do keep up with the times a little bit. Um, and I, I really want to think of them as having the big red faux leather reservation book with like a rubber band and a pencil. <laughs> that they probably have, but they've like actually like done really it really want, well. <laughs> I, I really want to. S- I'm desperate. I've been desperately looking for a restaurant that doesn't have any digital online reservation system, but still has just I mean, even, the book. Yeah, even older than There that, has like, to be somebody somewhere. Commanders had like these maitre d's who had been there for like less about decades. The book. Yeah. And it was, it was less about like writing it down because they just knew everybody in their heads. And they were like, oh, it's Sunday night. Stan Smith is going to come in with his family. We've and talked about this many times. S- yeah. It's like a... Uh, unfortunately, I feel that that position has kind of gone the, away a little bit. The mm-hmm. maitre d, the maitre d, the person, the first person that welcomes you into the restaurant right. is someone that like literally knows everybody that's been there for the last thirty years. Yeah, well, commanders did that so well. They are the tech. They, a, yeah, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about how maitre d's are being replaced by robots. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really, no. but sort of, maybe, maybe. But before we get to opening soon and what you need and don't need for restaurant tech, and we are going to talk a little bit about robots taking over certain jobs. We're going to start the show like we always do, going around the shipping container, talking about apps, new ones, maybe old favorites that have been living on the home screen of your smartphone for over a decade now. Ugh, so Can you imagine? No, I can't believe the iPhone's a decade old. That's crazy. Yes. So, Jenny, do you have an app that you like right now? I mean, uh, so since we've launched opening soon, I find myself just listening to podcasts all the time mm-hmm. with just trying to get fresh ideas. So I would how say... How do other people do it? Yeah. Like, how are other people doing it? What are my colleagues here at Heritage, like you doing? Um, what are new things that I can discover? So I'm, I'm definitely addicted to my, my Apple, I, uh, Apple podcast app right now. Okay. That's my number one. Excellent. We do have 35 live shows on Heritage yeah. Radio Network with... Uh, Matt, our engineer who's back in the booth, who is sitting strategically in that small slice of space between <laughs> yeah. the two windows. So we I call can't it my see spot. Him. My spot. Your <laughs> spot. <laughs> Yourspot.com? Yes. How many episodes do we have in the archives online? Uh, I think it's like 3 billion. Uh, I was no, going to say really? I was going to say 15,000 but <laughs> yeah, you, your number might be better. I think it's like 12,000. <laughs> twelve cuz it's more than okay. 10 cuz it was 10 more when I started. 10 I believe, but it's not more than 10,000 less than 3 billion. There's so yeah. many good <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, in there. That's listen, a healthy range. I listened to your predictions with David Hellbron from Hellbron leaving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the uh, was frightening. last show. I was, I was depressed. <laughs> like I think there's some silver linings but but yeah, I definitely listened to that one yesterday. She's talking about the last show of 2018. Yeah. The last show of the year, we have predictions for the coming year. And he's a founding partner of a law firm in downtown New York that specializes in hospitality. Mm-hmm. And his predictions for the year are very dire. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with losing your favorite neighborhood restaurant because they can't live economically anymore. Yeah. Do you feel like they've come, come true? 
Are these are these supposed to happen in 2019? I mean, it's supposed to be for this year, and I felt this like year? he was probably right about the trend, but wrong about the actual timeline. Well, he mm. was saying that he was seeing people come to him and ask to dissolve partnerships, mm-hmm. which you know means something's happening. Which means yeah. something's happening well, this year. I would say where I live in Manhattan and Chelsea, there are everyday new empty restaurants. And they are not being reopened. And there are spaces that have been empty for years. And they just keep closing and yeah. restaurants don't keep opening. I mean, we see that in the Lower East Side. It's like Mission Cantina has been literally closed for almost three years now. It's been two and a half years at least. The so, original space? Yeah, and that's on like a huge... That's on like I think somebody's a- actually t- taken it. Oh, really? Yeah, there's somebody that came in the shop recently. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. The silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Small <laughs> mom and pop operation has decided to take over the space. But it's going to be a Starbucks. Rejuvenate it. It's a Starbucks. It's a no, Starbucks. No, Dad, no. You have to please, believe. no. <laughs> Alex, what's your favorite app right now? Um, I, I don't know if i call it my favorite, but it's definitely something that Most we've been use. using a lot you push lately. push the button a lot. Is Planoly. Okay. So Planoly is Sounds an like app Sounds like something that that's very efficient for an entrepreneur. It, it is. is. It's an Instagram yeah. posting scheduling app. Um, so you can use it both on your desktop and on your phone. Um, but what it allows you to do is obviously to schedule posts for, you know, anywhere. Your podcast. You can probably go as far mm-hmm. as you want. Yeah. So when we're, when you're a business and you have multiple accounts, so we have Attila NYC. I have my own personal, which I don't schedule posts for. But <laughs> and then I, and then and it's our mostly podcast. our daughter Mally. Right. The, um, the post of your daughter at the laundromat was not scheduled. <laughs> that was, not scheduled. <laughs> that was not like <laughs> recorded and planned for like you can release see the, date. the quality of the photos as they go down. <laughs> but um, but being able to see those kind of schedule it out. Because we have there, there's certain times too that that um, our audience is watching uh, online. It has an that algorithm is, that will just post it at the right time for you based on your audience base. It doesn't do that, but it'll post it when we've you know kind of seen historically mm-hmm. have been good times. So like we see for you know the restaurant industry that you know chances are good that between nine and eleven when they're you know waiting for those last tables to come in is when they might have a chance to look at their phone. Um, anywhere from four o'clock to nine o'clock, you know that unless you're off that day you're probably not looking at your phone and well, if you, you are you be. might be out of a job soon so <laughs> mm-hmm. um but that that planally is is really great in that aspect so you prefer planally to the other social media scheduling apps and we services like hootsuite yeah. is yeah. one i always use we use hootsuite and i think it's great i think that um the ease of use of Planoly is really good. Okay. Um, and I like the interface. Hootsuite, out like your feed. Hootsuite has the algorithm where it will auto post for you at the best time based on your audience. Based on your audience, yeah. Mm-hmm. Planoly may do that. I'm not sure that it doesn't. Okay. But it's not something that we have used. Okay, fair enough. I might look at it. Yeah. Is it free or is it It's definitely, premium I believe, it's a little bit less expensive than Hootsuite is. Hootsuite is free. Hootsuite's a more premium. Hootsuite is free. I use the free version. I guess it depends uh, on the number of accounts, the number mm-hmm. of users. We have, because we have like a yeah, marketing a, assistant internally mm-hmm. at Tillit, so we have to have multiple logins. Right. So we you, we use like a... Um, it's very, enterprise it's, version. It, yeah, it's, it's very so affordable. cheap though. It's like 15 bucks a month. And I think we, like the previous, um, we were using, we used Hootsuite, we used, we used Sprout, Sprout which well. I would recommend Planoly over those. So, and it was like definitely cheaper than than Sprout when we switched. And it, it was better at um, sending like the notifications and you can plan Instagram stories and all those kind of good things. Okay. Yeah, and you can always look at your business insights to see when your users are most active mm-hmm. also pretty easily on your 
Instagram. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. Very relevant to your show, to this show. Yeah. And to life. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to be like opening a restaurant and remembering to post content and all those kind of things. It's so hard to open a restaurant anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, just fundamentally, it's one of the most difficult things to do. Someone was talking to me not too long ago about how they were thinking about opening a neighborhood coffee shop restaurant type thing. and, And what did I think of that? And my reply was, I wouldn't counsel anybody to open any kind of restaurant in New York City right New York now. Is I think anybody, too, that says, you know, simply that, that I'm thinking about doing this. It has to be like, I really want to do this. This mm-hmm. is like the only thing I can do with my life is to do this. Then I would say 100%, let's go ahead and give you that encouragement. But uh, it's just such a tough tough gig, tough life, tough way to have a family. Like, it's a, it's a really hard thing. So, But it is super rewarding but if that passion is there then yes by all means you should 100% follow your dreams but if it's an afterthought or like a yeah maybe I'll do this it's yeah. like we had a friend that came to us one time that um, maybe three or four years ago and was like oh I'm thinking about like a my neighborhood really needs it you know this kind of restaurant and we got the money to do it and what do you think He's also, like, he's like a tech guy <laughs> who has five kids and wanted to be able to take his kids somewhere to eat on the weekends with their baseball team and friends. So he was, and he was like, you know, just had no idea about what anything. the grind had is. Had no idea about anything. Yeah. So he like asked Alex, so Alex <laughs> sent him We back. connected him with, with yeah. a restaurant consultant and I think that they Actually, basically. we connected him with Halbron and Levy. I believe we did. Yeah. 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 Okay. There Which we go. And like, so I think that they kind of you know, just gave him a little bit of a walk. We can end the show now because we've come full circle. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We've definitely come full circle. Yeah. yeah. And scene. Yeah. One of the things that we have talked about on this show on different episodes, because we talk a lot to entrepreneurs and founders of food tech companies. When you're starting a food tech company, there are so many places to go for help. When you're starting any kind of tech company or anything that qualifies as a startup and for some reason restaurants are outside that group and I think restaurants are the original sort of startup yeah you hustle some money you get friends and family Mm -hmm. you know you do your own sort of like funding thing and and you just by bootstrap it right you get it together and you do it but when you're doing a food tech company there's a lot of help for you. There are a myriad of websites where you have examples of pitch decks you can download, you can copy, there are templates, there are pitch spotlights and accelerators and incubators and forums and all kinds of places to go to get help. And part of the startup culture is also having mentors and a board Mm -hmm. of director and people who check in with you, who help you. And that is part and parcel of being a food tech founder and starting a business. And restaurants just don't have that. They don't have the same reservoir of information. They don't have a standing public that is interested and willing to be an advisor for free or just jump on board. The culture of information sharing, information repositories, and mentorship just don't exist. So it's interesting that you've decided to sort of put some of these things into action in your show because there are so many details. And one of the things that we try and do on this show is every now and again, we do what I would call a boot camp episode where we try and kind of demystify some piece of restaurant or industry tech and walk people through it. What is it? What do you need to do? We did a show on like payment tokens and security systems. Hmm. How many people who are thinking about opening a restaurant who are listening know what a payment token is and know if it should be inside or outside your firewall? I, I mean, no I don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's so, I, yeah. 
but I, there are like these details and that's exactly why we wanted to do the show is because Alex and I, you know, in 2010 opened and closed a restaurant within six months because we didn't have like appropriate resources and knowledge base. And there wasn't like the how to books and the like websites with pages and pages of like, this is how you do this. This is what you do for starting a restaurant. So, and we've seen from working with 4,000 plus restaurants with till it, we've seen people do things very differently you know, across the board and not necessarily information share about like, oh, this was the most effective thing for me. This is like, you know, a great resource for this and that kind of thing. So we felt like there definitely was a void. Yeah. And we've seen, I feel like we've seen a lot of people succeed, but we've also seen people fail in the same way that we did. And, you know, I think it's this, um, this culture, like you said, that's lacking, but the one that's there is that it's, you know, it's all experience based. So the, the only way you're going to learn to open a restaurant is by working in 15 different restaurants and like trying to get around and, and absorb as much as you can. The problem is, is that at, for chefs, for front of house, for service, you, you don't necessarily get access to all those things, whether you're, you know, you might be lucky enough to be part of one restaurant opening and kind of see how it goes through. Um, but for the most part, if you're a young cook, if you're not the chef or the GM, those two people, you don't get hired until the restaurant is open until all of those things have gone through. And the chances of getting a sit down and really going through in depth of all those things that it takes to go through from writing a business plan to finding partners to getting a liquor license, like you just aren't gonna have that knowledge um, unless you do it yourself or unless you know resources like what we're trying to do continue and evolve and, and people have a better method of sharing. Yeah, sometimes people open a restaurant because they have a great pizza recipe or they think their neighborhood is missing, uh, you know, fried chicken after Little League <laughs> spot without having any concept of, of what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. Right. So I'd be curious to have your point of view and even the fact that you opened and closed a restaurant and failed. That's even very a la mode. <laughs> That's my Instagram That's handle. Don't, don't try and steal it. Check, check that box. I love it. Um, in the startup culture, because yeah. they have Fail Friday and yeah. don't be, you know, what are you afraid of? And all the stories of the entrepreneurs who their first business or their second business didn't get off the ground and it was the third and the fourth. And right. it's almost a rite of passage. In yeah, Silicon Valley, startup, it's 100% a rite of passage. In the startup failing. world, yeah. it's not the same necessarily in the restaurant industry. No, definitely not the same. And, it, you know, we it sucks to have had a failed restaurant, but we definitely learned a lot from the experience and we made our current business till it better for it. Um, and yeah, we definitely feel like we learned from that experience and that's like some of the knowledge sharing and it's true. It's like I, when I was in business school, one of the marketing professors would always say, you know what an entrepreneur is? Somebody who's actually started a business, whether or not it seeds or not is a different story, but mm -hmm. it's like, just takes one to actually, you know, work. So. so you, your restaurant moment was in 2010. Mm -hmm. Correct. So nine years later. What's the difference in terms of what kind of technology? Your first show is about the business plan. Right. And the, your guests talk about you had a, a non-industry partner come on board and look at the business plan and they shared it. And it was, there were line items that people weren't necessarily thinking about yeah. when they initially created it. And I would imagine that a lot there are a lot of line items now in a business plan today in 2019 that are all tech that did not yeah. exist in 2010. Yeah, and there's some, I think, that are, um, the line item is smaller. The line item can be 
um, subscription-based, which makes a big difference for a new restaurant opening because it's you know super capital-intensive and super risk-heavy in the beginning for a restaurant. Um, and beginning means the first two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah, for people, if you're able for to people get that listening far, at right? home, yeah, the beginning means the first two years. For sure. Um, I mean, that's a big part of the business plan that we talk about too, is having that cash the reserve cash, to go yeah. for way longer than you think. And that's, that's a huge misconception for a lot of young people that are looking to do a restaurant is that, you know, two months in, three months in cash will be coming and we'll be able to, you know, afford all those things that it takes. And unfortunately, even if you are the most successful, that probably just isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, but, but I think back to your question, I, some of the things that um, have changed quite a bit from when I was in the kitchen and when we did goods to now or, um, are the way websites were created, so like bringing people in from the very beginning. Um, so companies like Get Bento that basically can create an entire um, welcome storefront for you online, which is how people are finding new restaurants. I think we like we have like a splash page with like one picture and like a link to like a PDF. We had to have a developer do it. Yeah, and I'm sure and it, it probably, probably cost five or ten it, grand. Because well, yeah. there was always and that like, shady person who would come in and say, "Yeah, I can build you a website. It's yeah. going to cost fifty thousand dollars." <laughs> right, and nobody exactly. knew what that know, involved. No so offering. people would yeah. say, "Okay." And then wow, you would talk to people expensive. exactly. Like, and then yeah. I need a server, and what's right. that about? Right. Like not a waiter server, but a <laughs> yeah, electronic yeah, server, electronic and server. Yeah. Right. and then you need somebody to be a search optimization person. So you're going to pay somebody so people can find your website. I mean, it was right. also it's because people don't know what's involved. There's a lot of shady. There was a lot, a lot of shady, shady with website building yeah. at the beginning. I mean, Bente's sure. done a good job of game-changing oh. that, for mm-hmm. sure. We have a great episode, actually, with Crystal Mobiani, who's the CEO and founder. She's been on the show a couple times. I really like having women CEOs and founders on the show a lot. But we did episode 126, which was restaurant websites. Oh, cool. And we just sort of talk about the ins and outs and what you need. and um, Because, again, they're restaurant-specific. They have the input requests troubleshooting from their customers, yeah. you know, similar to Attilit. So right. they develop things based on what people are asking for sometimes, which may not be obvious to a programmer. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a game changer. I yeah, mean, it's the sure. same as, you know, we wouldn't have been able to start Tillit without a backend like Shopify yeah. that just didn't exist. Yeah. You know, 15, I don't know when Shopify started, but maybe 15 years ago. We were pretty early on the platform when we started Till it in 2012. Yeah, so I mean, they're it's just pretty new. About, our business would not literally, literally would not, would not exist, exist without if that we didn't type have of Shopify because it's low risk for us. And when we went from doing a restaurant, which is absolute high risk from the beginning, because you just can't open a restaurant on thirty thousand dollars. You have to have, you know, at least Two a quarter million. of a million to open yeah, even the least. tiniest of, yeah. of shacks, uh, which is what we had. <laughs> um, but we started Tillit on thirty grand, which is a completely different game plan. Which you can do out of your apartment. We did do it out of our apartment, (laughs) literally out of our apartment for a year and a half. Thank you to our early employees who worked in our apartment. We still love you. And that was also a reaction of the restaurant. It was, you know, we had just dumped all this money and had this really high risk thing. And we were like, no, let's go, you know, let's go the opposite direction. But I don't know where we were, but I lost my train of thought. No, but what's (laughs) changed, I mean, thinking back to goods. So I think also something that's really interesting is that for goods, we were, um, cash only because the POSs. Oh my God. Could you imagine cash only? I know. And now who it's has like cash. Who has cash? Right. It, so that was in 2010. Do you have cash on you right now? I think I have I $1. Cash. Matt, do you have cash yeah. on you? 
I actually do. <laughs> okay. No, I don't. Jen and I, I don't go, have I cash. Go to you don't slice ha- enough. Although, actually, we take card. Old men carry cash. Okay. Uh, Did you just clearly. call my engineer old? <laughs> <laughs> Calling myself old. Okay. And maybe I'm throwing Matt in the bucket. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but cash only. So I, we that's brazen. I know. Isn't that crazy? York, I never had cash though. Ah. Okay. So New York. York did it to you. Mm-hmm. But now that I think, I now I think about anywhere, and we were pr- like, you know, technically a quick service type of model where we had like you would order from the truck and then go sit in the garden. And now when I think about quick service restaurants, a lot of them are cashless. Correct. So right. it's really it, which like, creates its own set of of social. It issues. does create its own set of social issues, and there's a whole thing around. You know, elitism. Yeah, Not elitism. Dem- democratic. Yeah, it's true because some people don't have credit cards because mm-hmm. they can't afford to or have credit cards. Or a phone that has a right. facial identification scanner right. on yeah. it. Yeah, so there is definitely that aspect, but it's just like the thought of being cash only now is few and far between. Well, we at Heritage Radio Network are not cash only. As a matter of fact, we are online transactions all the way. We take all the credit cards. We're going to stop and take a quick break to listen to who the sponsor is of this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? Did you know we're kind of like public radio? And we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of listeners like you, who are our members, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's Rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's Rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on Heritage Radio Network where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space Are you an innovator in the food tech space? Are you a CEO or a founder of a food company, a new food tech product, or maybe a restaurant tech software platform? Are you looking for funding? If you are, Tech Mites might be your answer. We are having another live pitch show on July 16th, and this time we have two lucky companies who will be able to live pitch Joshua Siegel, who is the managing partner of Rubicon Venture Capital. He is looking for one food product company that must be something that has a daily purchase, has a great price point with good distribution, and most importantly, should taste good. Also looking for a restaurant tech software platform company. It should be more than a feature. It should be fundamental to operations, sales, or acquisition. And most importantly, it should be scalable. Mm -hmm. Companies should be late seed doing a million or so in revenue. 
You can be located anywhere geographically, but the founders must be in the studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, inside Roberta's Pizza for the live broadcast. So if you think that's you and you're looking for money and you think you could pitch it and win it, send us your deck. Send it to techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. And maybe you'll come and live pitch for money on the show. Ooh, that sounds fun. Oh, yeah. We did it last year, that too. That super fun. I yeah. want to listen to this one. It's like mini Shark Tank. Yeah, I love it. Who and it's somebody year? who's... Yeah, who won last year? Uh, well, we had... Actually, we did two shows, so we had four companies on. Oh, wow. Um, we had a different venture capitalist Did anybody last get year. an investment? Um, I don't know that they got investment, but they definitely got conversation and follow-up. So oh, I actually great. should go back to them and see if people got investment. I'm going to send this to our friends at Faba Butter. They've yeah. been on the show. The Faba Butter guys? Yeah. The Adrian? Faba Butter guys. Both of them. Uh, yeah. The Faba awesome. Butter guys were on the show. I can vouch for the product. The last year. Good. It does taste good. I, yeah. I'm impressed. It's so cool. It's upcycled butter. Sorry, they were on the show. They were on the <laughs> show on excited. the... Um, they, you're going to love the second yeah. show. The first show they were on was I did one where it was millennial CEOs. CEOs oh, okay. under 25. Wow. They're under 25? They're like 23 and 22 you or can something tell, they, like that. These guys have They're so babies. much energy. So. They have so much energy. They're <laughs> like you can't, bouncing down you the can't street. can't see the baby face on yeah. the radio, but baby yeah. face. Wow. I didn't realize they were that young. Oh, super young. Mm-hmm. And Or maybe 25 and 26 or something like that. Yeah. But they were all under 25-ish. Whoa. So what I did following that... They kept telling me how great their plant-based butter was. Mm -hmm. And if you go to their website, it said something like, Michelin starred chefs think it's as good as French butter. I was like, I'll be the judge of that. You're like, I happen to know (laughs) a Michelin starred chef. So uh, what I did is actually I had them, the faba butter, and then I also had a company on called Rise, which is upcycled barley flour from breweries. Okay. And they say their product is amazing also for baking. So I had both of those companies send samples to a pastry chef named Chris Broberg, who is classically trained. He's been a you know best pastry chef of the year. He was at Lespinas and you know, a bunch of, you know, super high end, four star fancy restaurants. He's now the chef a chef at Facebook Instagram, at oh, the Facebook cool. Instagram HQ. Cool. So I had everyone send him product and he baked classic French baking with it and and then came on the show and talked about it so cool because he's super technical and very scientific about you know melt points and protein and all modernist cuisine on it just got deep into that and super geeky but it was really fun and he liked both of the products did he use them together exclusively or i don't think he used them together i think he used them independently so that he could baseline them right he did a sable with the faba butter, like a sable cookie and something else. and So cool. Yeah, it was really great. It was really well done because all of these food product founders will tell you how great it is and they'll yeah. make all these claims. Right. But let's... But let's put it to the test. Absolutely. I love let's that. I love that you So did I got that. an impartial, super qualified third party yeah. focus group. We also did that with the um, a uh, Brooklyn aquaponic company that started producing fish in their indoor farming and so i had the chef in of, brooklyn mm-hmm. so i had the chef of oceana get samples of the fish and and come on the show how'd that with go? the founder and uh that's a lot talk of pressure 
if that it was is good a lot or not. of pressure. Right? It was a lot of pressure, but you know what? It's a great opportunity for the company. I'm like, you want to yeah. put your product in front of one of the top seafood chefs? I assume it, in the city? they passed. Yes, they did. They okay. passed the test. <laughs> yeah, they did. What's the name of the company? Um, I'm gonna find it. It's all. It all. I'm gonna find the episode okay. and the name. Cool. And let you know. It's Eden Works. Okay. Eden mm-hmm. Works. Well, I don't know if anybody's working on this, but from our side, there needs to be consolidated. I heard you say something about a consolidated platform for the pitch comp contest and there needs to be consolidated os and e platform for restaurants Mm -hmm. that's like one thing that's missing and not out there because people are sourcing things from all over the place and they don't have a consolidated place to like go and put orders and reorders and all those kind of things it's true what do they do now they just they go through distributors and they come to us individually and all these things and then what happens is that you know, like your starting general manager moves on and then they don't know who the contact is for whatever vendor. And it's like, it's all very manual. Like if you're in like a traditional retail brand and you're selling wholesale, say to like a Bloomingdale's, they have platforms. There's one like called new order where you can go and you put in all of your, like your items and your SKUs and your everything that you order on a regular basis. And you can send it to the vendors and easily reorder. But there's so many like products that people need for their like general operations, supplies and equipment, which is what OSNE is for those people who maybe don't know the abbreviation I used, but there's no like centralized place. What about just for even food and beverage? Are mm, there, just for food, yeah. is there a consolidation ordering platform for that? I mean, it's, is it still people like question. calling on the phone and mm-hmm. saying, it is. Hey, can I get 10 pounds of tilapia tomorrow or whatever yeah. it is? There are a couple of companies that are trying to solve that. They want to be some sort of, you know, marketplace like an Amazon for restaurants almost where you have, (laughs) it's like like the marketplace where you have all of the products and then the restaurants sort of just have an account and it's all there and they can see everything in real time. What's available. There are some platforms that are specifically for farmers and, you know, sort of farm to restaurant things where you give farmers a platform. So restaurants can find them because farmers don't have, I mean, farmers are, have less time and less IT than restaurants do. Yeah. Right. I mean, if we sort of go down the yeah. spectrum of people who have tech and people who, people yeah. who have time and tech, farmers come after <laughs> restaurant After people. chefs right. and restaurateurs. Right? Yeah, I believe it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you were running your restaurant, uh, we actually talked about this on, on the phone before we did the show, the shoebox company, which has made a business out of chefs being able to, or you know, anyone in a kitchen or restaurant being able to snap a photo of the note scribbled on the seafold towel that comes with your super boutique farm mushroom <laughs> delivery. Right. And then that's sort of supposed to be your invoice. Wow. I mean, so you take a picture happens. of that and then it goes to their data entry, which is in the Philippines. And then the next day, all of your invoices and everything are entered into your accounting system that is genius. in real that time. So you have yeah. real time inventory that's and genius. sales. Yeah. And not sales, real-time um, data, for food costs. Yeah, food yeah. costs and P&L, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all know they live and die by the margins right now. Yeah. Right, and you, it's not helpful if you get that information three or four months after the fact. Yeah, I mean, when Could you have, run your business? No. Could you run Till It if you didn't have inventory and I, P&L I literally look at real P&L time? literally every day. Like, I have, like, <laughs> real-time accounting. All of our bank is integrated into the accounting service. And I, like, probably look at our P&L, like, two or three times a week. Just yeah. to see, like I think it, I think it makes it very hard for accuracy. Yeah, and this is probably one of the causes and one of the reasons that there are such slim margins in restaurants because there aren't, you know, efficient ways of properly tracking 
everything from ordering to inventory to invoicing, like you said. Yeah, I remember goods. We had like a receipt box and it would get like reconciled like quarterly. It was next to the cash box. It was it was yeah. definitely next to the <laughs> cash was. box and covered in grease. And like you were lucky if the cook who received the like whatever there order were a lot actually of got pro- it. There were yeah. a lot of problems and a lot of those, you know, were our own mistakes, but there were a lot that were, you know, just a there problem were. with the industry. It was yeah. the same. Not available. Us finding not farmers, available. you know, we, we had a hot dog that was like sourced from a farmer upstate and like it was a, a monumental mess to find this gentleman and then he couldn't keep up with our demand and trying to find someone else was was another mess and so he had like you couldn't even get him on the phone right it was, it was like crazy. it was like yeah. it was like impossible to even order from him because what you're saying is farmers have even less time than chefs and restaurants right. but yeah. he wanted to sell the product to us to get his product out there there just wasn't a good way to connect the, the two of us. And mm-hmm. that's uh, far. I haven't seen any platform that's been very successful. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably hard to sign restaurants up. As, people, you know, know, as much as is. restaurants, as much as restaurants want to be innovative or have new technology or be more efficient and effective, that want and desire is balanced against deeply rooted habits yeah. Yeah. and deeply rooted, albeit sometimes dysfunctional, <laughs> traditional ways of doing things. And yeah. it's hard to kind of get the monolith we into... Put a, we put a towel loop on our apron and we had chefs complain because they they can only put their towel in the strap of the apron because that's where they put it for it's the last 15 years. For the last years. 20 it's years. Like, it literally, we were like trying, some of those yeah. things that are just... <laughs> Sometimes we'll do like when we do product habits, development. Yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah. Definitely I, I know someone who would culture. tell you no towels on the apron. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I... <laughs> But for but for some, it's like yeah, they have to like tuck the towel into the towel strap or into the waistband strap of the apron. And like when we tried this new design and tested it on a bunch of people, it was yeah. like oh, brain explosion. Yeah, oh my goodness. So when you had goods to now, did you have a social media assistant who was doing the social media? Did you have a digital social presence? What was your what Good. was your internet tech stack? Goods was pre. Goods was 2012. We had, we no, had Goods Instagram. was 2010. 2010. So that was pre Instagram. Goods was pre Instagram. That's pre Instagram, yeah. but that's yes. definitely Twitter and Facebook. Facebook I think we, we tweeted. I remember people <laughs> tweeting. tweeting. I do remember Twitter. I, yeah. I don't know who did it. <laughs> big A Ice Cream yeah. did Twitter. That's how they first started, where you knew how to follow mm-hmm. the truck. The trucks were big on they Twitter. They had a great early. Twitter homepage that had sprinkles. Luckily, our truck sat in one spot, so we didn't have so to... So you knew where to find us. But I remember tweeting specials. I, t- I, I tweeted for us. <laughs> there, were, there were probably three tweets on the <laughs> Goods account. On the Goods Instagram, or the Goods Twitter account. We had a website. Very and basic. And I think that yeah. was probably And you were cash extent. only, so you did not have any sort of payment platform. POS, no. We had no payment platform. We had no POS. It was very tech light. Yes. And now that I think about it, it's like... That seems crazy. We probably would have seen some of the red flags earlier had we had we had a little more. Yes. You know, our, our red flags were in were in our numbers, um, and on the accounting side. Um, and I feel like we definitely would have seen some of those things had we had a better better platform. Had we had a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> Step one. Step one. Make Step business one. plan. Step Don't one. Episode one. It. Make <laughs> business plan. We talk about restaurant margins being already very small and then technology being additional line items and add-ons that are expenses that continue to eat away at that margin. 
Do you think that that's an accurate portrayal that technology is more things that people have to pay for when you think about delivery systems and kiosks and social media and Wi-Fi and all those things? Or has it shifted? Do you have less people because you have a French fry making robot? Do you have less people because you don't need anyone to answer the phone anymore? Has it shifted, do you think? Right. Or, or is it just add-ons and the margins are getting smaller and smaller? No, I think I think it's shifted. I think that you know, as a business owner and starting your your baby, that you have to be conscious of which of those pieces you actually need and which of those pieces are going to benefit your specific business. Um, I think there's a lot that make it more efficient to both tell people what you're doing, to bring people in, to keep people interested, to um, all those things. I think it, I think you know the Planalies of the world can make it easier to get your your story out to the way that people are receiving it. The get bentos are you know allowing you to to um, to have your 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 digital storefront. There. Who, are who's pe- running those things though, and when do they have the time slot in their day to run the bento box and the planerly? I mean, I think um, I don't know. I'm not in the restaurant, but I would have to assume it's a GM or an owner that's doing that are kind of managing those things i think most restaurants probably have someone on staff if not a contractor yeah. who's doing social or you know social and pr together a lot of pr companies will do social for restaurants mm-hmm. yeah. in a small way or in an abbreviated way um and then there's pos systems that i think are a big difference and more efficient they can be subscription based now which you know 15 years ago you were buying into this like crazy you know upfront cost that was like 25 grand plus that you know hardwired in your restaurant and you 15 have to, years like, ago that's a lot of money it's that's nuts. a ton of money yeah, i mean ton yeah it's a ton of money today yeah it's a lot of money 15 years ago yeah and then and then those things didn't have a lot of flexibility so it's like hardwired in one spot so like when you design your restaurant from the very <laughs> beginning and you have this like giant, giant box server. where the s- computer sits and where the server sits and where you know the the um, server stations are, you can never change that because now you're kind of stuck with it unless you have a technician that comes in and changes the whole thing for you. Um, now I think with you know like a square or a toast like those kind of things, you can do a lot of the updates on menus and of the items on there and the changing the prices and there's a lot more reporting. You can loop in delivery services. You can loop in your your website. Um, there's a lot more options for that that should make you more efficient and in turn, you know, hopefully make the margin a little bit bigger. I think. So. Yeah. No. And I think also that's, but that is true. And I think some of the things have made it easier and cheaper. So like you asked, like who's updating the websites. I think a lot of times it is like the general manager or somebody like that and things like get bent are much easier because in the past they had to go through a developer, which would be like a thousand dollars every time you had a menu change mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So in a lot of ways, and then now it's just like a simple upload and change situation um yeah for sure okay so much to talk about do you have plans to do some tech episodes coming up we maybe do. not this season maybe next season this season we're just trying to get the basics down but next season we want to keep deep diving into into some good stuff so if you have ideas or you know i think we definitely want to explore some us. tech and i think there's definitely. a lot of um, I think there's a lot of tech in, you know, in restaurant equipment that we haven't even... We didn't even talk about talk the about French fry yeah. making robot. We have to Flippy. talk about it for time. Flippy. Flippy is the French fry making robot. Damn haven't it. talked about Flippy, <laughs> <laughs> which is real. Next time. Are you going to do a 
Or making aprons for Flippy? I don't. I think Flippy's just an arm. Flippy I think the apron might go in the arm. fry in the fry oil. Flippy's gonna put us out of business and the fry cooks. <laughs> We're screwed. No, the fry cooks <laughs> gonna be reallocated to customer care. Correct, but we will not be. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I'm thinking I need of a, I need a, we need a robot apron quick, stat. Quick. <laughs> I'm thinking about when I think of the French fry robot, I think of the person who makes the fries at In-N-Out Burger. If have you been to an In-N-Out Burger, West Coast legendary burger place? I haven't. I, not I have. recently. We've been, but I don't remember so the fry. So they guys actually they actually have a wall mounted potato sectioner oh, and that's yeah. how they make the fries they make the fries from actual it goes potatoes. straight into the fryer it goes the into thing? a contain it goes into a bowl right, and right. then it goes into the fryer so they, they have a person who actually is pulling right. the potato through this metal it's um you know it looks like a yeah it's like a grid with a, a grid with a blade fries. and yeah. then the fries come out and then they fry them so there's actually a person who Pulls the potato, you know, pushes, pulls the lever, yep. and then somebody who actually fries them. Yeah. So not only do they need Flippy, but they need, I don't even know I'm what you sure need. Lever guy. Can fry lever. Them, he can do the lever. Yeah. No? <laughs> Maybe. Possibly. Who knows? Yeah. As I, as I think of that person not being yeah. there anymore. Yeah. Sad mm. day. Well... <laughs> Sad day and sad day now because we're out of time. It goes by so fast. It does go by fast. I, I've asked and asked for more time, but it's always 45 minutes is the limit. And 45 minutes is the limit because there's a new show on the hour. That's how we roll at Heritage Radio. Shows start at the top of the hour, end at quarter of, and then you get something new. I want to thank... Jenny Goodman and Alex McCreary for coming on the show today. If you want to find them on Heritage Radio, their show is opening soon. They are 2 p.m. Tuesdays, Eastern Standard Time. That's live. After that, you can find them on all the social media platforms. You can find them on social media at We Are Opening Soon. If you want to find them for chef wear, front of the house, back of the house, and maybe just a jumpsuit to wear out Yes. In life, I roll. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying, you can find them at tillitnyc.com. That's t i l i t n y c dot com at tillitnyc. You can find Jenny at Jenny McGoody and Alex at a i dot a dot mode. Tech Bytes is broadcast live on Tuesdays at six p.m. Eastern Standard Time on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, your host and producer. Matt Patterson is our engineer. Our theme song, Nomad a CPU Track, is by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN and on all your favorite podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.